What do you remember about the last time you saw Ginger? She said, I love you, Daddy. Those were the last words she said to me. Next day, she disappeared. She had walked into a store, and she never came back out. They found Ginger. I just remember screaming, saying, no, how could this happen? How do you deal with telling your wife that your daughter has been killed? It was the hardest thing I've ever had to do. My investigation showed that there wasn't the perfect storybook marriage by any stretch. Mark and Ginger's car was found burning in this parking lot right here. At that point, I thought, my gosh, Mark may be trying to destroy evidence. Was that shocking to you that this all could have spiraled out of control so quickly? Nothing was beyond possibility after being a cop for a few years. You see that the unusual is possible. Hi, I'm Paula Zahn, and tonight we're on the case in Las Vegas, Nevada. The city known for its 24-hour casinos and glitzy nightlife became the center of a disturbing mystery when a glamorous showgirl simply vanished in broad daylight. And the deeper police looked into the report surrounding the disappearance of Ginger Rios, the more certain they became that her story would have a tragic ending. Saturday, April 5th, 1997. The sun was just rising over the desert when a distraught caller contacted the Las Vegas Metro Police Department. The man on the line said that his wife, 20-year-old Ginger Rios, had disappeared during a shopping trip the previous afternoon. What did the missing persons report state? Where had this young woman gone missing? It stated that she had walked into a store called Spycraft. And she never came back out. Or at least the husband never saw her come back out. Although Detective Jeff Rosgen was the veteran of dozens of missing persons investigations, the details Ginger's husband Mark provided were unlike any he had ever heard before. the day that this happened, Mark and Ginger pulled in and parked in this parking space right here. Ginger told Mark to stay in the car, that she'd run in and be right out. How long did the husband say she was inside the store? He said it was long enough for him to smoke a cigarette, look at his watch and say, you know, where the heck is she? What's she doing? Ginger's husband, Mark, told detectives that he had gone inside the store to look for his wife and had spoken with the shop's owner. He asked the store owner, hey, have you seen my wife? And described her. And he said, oh yeah, a girl looked like that came in, bought a couple books, and she left a few minutes ago. 
Mark also told police that he and Ginger had only been married for a few months. To investigators, the couple appeared to be an unusual match. Mark was an introverted divorcee and 14 years older than his vibrant young bride. What did you find out about her? That she was uh, 20 years old. She was a dancer, performer, model, had big goals and aspirations to do things in the entertainment industry, and a very attractive girl. Mark said that Ginger had entered the store to buy a book with only her wallet, her ID, and some cash. She had left her purse with all of her other personal belongings in the car. What did Mark do after he left the store? He said he checked in all the other stores in the area. But no one had seen Ginger. Mark then drove to Ginger's parents' house to tell them what had happened. Ginger's family was extremely tight-knit. Her younger sister, Daniela, was particularly troubled by one part of Mark's story. I do remember the one detail that really bothered me. She left her purse with all of her other belongings in the car, so her makeup, something that was very important to her. She was not a girl that went without her makeup really anywhere. When Ginger's father, George Rios, got home, walked into a room filled with tension and anxiety. How did you find out Ginger had gone missing? I come into the dining room, and uh, my wife said, Ginger is missing. So I ask, what do you mean Ginger is missing? And then Mark starts to relate the story. After listening to his son-in-law, George concluded, that the key to finding Ginger was inside the spycraft store. I'm thinking to myself, a store like that I would think would have cameras. It's a spy store. When George and Mark arrived at the shop, it appeared to be closed. But the two men ran into the owner in the parking lot. George and Mark were talking to the store owner saying, can we get that video? And he's like, you know, I've already locked and set the security alarm and everything. I'm gonna be gone over the weekend, but Monday I'll get that for you. Ginger's father and her husband spent the rest of the night trying to come up with a rational explanation for her disappearance. Did you think there was any possibility that Ginger had simply run away? No. It just did not make sense. People run away is usually because they're fearful of something. She had nothing to fear. Or did she? Investigators wondered if the talented 20-year-old may have had a dark secret. One she hadn't shared with her family. According to her husband, Ginger Rios had gone missing during a short visit to a Las Vegas spy shop. The odd story of how she disappeared raised many questions for her loved ones and investigators. 
Could the talented 20-year-old have been abducted? Or was there a reason the young showgirl may have simply run away? Within hours of Ginger's disappearance, her family went into panic mode. It was hard to accept that something terrible could have happened just when Ginger was on the brink of realizing all of her dreams. Where was she in her life professionally at the time that this happened? She had been performing with a group called the Salsa Machine. And uh, I was so happy for her. She had found something that she loved to do. She had a dream to be the queen of Las Vegas. She wanted to take her lounge performance and just bring it to the next level. And she was really on the cusp of realizing that. Her loved ones refused to believe that Ginger would have voluntarily walked away from the career she had dedicated her life to. She was too happy to not want to be here. Not all of a sudden like that. And the young newlywed's recent marriage appeared to be another reason why she wouldn't have left on her own. Ginger and her husband, Mark, had moved into a new home the day before she vanished. She just found this fantastic house that had a basement level where she could put a dance studio. Her father, George, remembers just how excited Ginger was about the next chapter of her life. What do you remember about the last time you saw Ginger? I helped her move into that house. I just remember how happy she was. And then, of course, you know, we were saying our goodbyes, and she said, I love you, Daddy. I said, I love you, Ginger. Next day, she disappeared. Ginger's family had been quick to rule out her husband, Mark, as either the cause or the reason for her disappearance. But detectives weren't as certain. My investigation showed that there wasn't the perfect storybook marriage by any stretch. There was an incident where Ginger had been staying at a hotel for a while. What did you make of what Mark told you once Ginger went inside the store? It's kind of a crazy story if you think about it. And so often, the spouse is the one that is going to cause harm. As the days went by with no sign of Ginger, bank records only added weight to that theory. What impact did it have on the investigation when you found out that her ATM card had not been used and that her check hadn't been deposited? Those are all things that take it away from voluntarily missing and put it more into one of the foul play scenarios. Police took note of the troubling portrait of Ginger's husband, Mark, that was quickly coming into focus. I interviewed a lot of people who knew Mark. Nearly every single one gave me not a very nice look at what Mark was about. 
Did you ever specifically ask Mark the question? Did you have anything to do with your wife's disappearance? Yes, I did. He said, absolutely not. But while detectives look for reasons to eliminate Mark as a suspect, his own actions kept moving him up the list, especially the amount of time he was spending on his own investigation into Ginger's disappearance. He was out talking to people, doing surveillance, and there were some odd things that he was coming up with. Investigators were bothered by the fact that all of Mark's leads pointed to Ginger having left on her own. Why is he coming up with this scenario? Is he just trying to cover his own tracks? So I, I still followed all the leads. Um, basically, those led nowhere. Detectives were slowly zeroing in on Mark. When they got a tip, they placed him on the fast track to becoming a prime suspect. I received a call from a patrol officer. He informed me that Mark and Ginger's car was found burning in this parking lot right here. At that point, I thought, my gosh, Mark may be trying to destroy evidence. When police found the car, Mark had already left the scene. And when they tracked him down for questioning, he claimed he had no idea how the fire started. He said that he was driving home from work when the motor started acting funny. By Mark's account, the car had exploded into flames on its own. So did you believe it was possible that, that the engine spontaneously caught on fire after he abandoned the vehicle? It's possible that it just happened, but it's awful strange and awful coincidental. He's the husband of a missing person. Anytime something like that does occur, it does raise our suspicion. Mark's car was towed to the crime lab and processed for evidence. What did the testing on the car reveal? Absolutely nothing. There was no evidence of any biological fluids, blood, any evidence of any unusual behavior. Detectives had spent a lot of time looking at Ginger's husband, Mark, but had no hard evidence connecting him to her disappearance. So they decided to restart the investigation. And that meant going back to the last place anyone other than her husband had seen Ginger alive. Would a conversation with the spy shop owner jumpstart the case? Twenty-year-old Ginger Rios had mysteriously vanished while shopping at a busy strip mall in Las Vegas. Police had found no evidence to link her husband to the unusual missing persons case, so they decided to go back to square one. 
and retrace the starlet's last known movements one step at a time. The disappearance of Ginger Rios had become a major news story in Las Vegas. How did the community react to this case? It scared people. It put everybody on notice. Ginger's family took to the streets, posting missing persons flyers and making public appeals on TV. My worst concern is you open the paper in the morning and find another body in a desert. While Ginger's family braced themselves for the worst, investigators returned to the last place the 20-year-old had been seen, the spy shop where Ginger had been shopping. Detective Rosgen contacted the owner, John Flowers. He wanted to see the surveillance tapes that Flowers had promised Ginger's husband and father the night she disappeared. What did you tell him? I told him I needed to speak with him. I needed to get a statement. I needed the video that showed Ginger coming in the store, buying a book, and walking back out. Flowers told investigators he was currently at his shop in Phoenix and would be returning soon. Detectives decided to visit the Las Vegas store on their own. The person that had been sent by Flowers from Phoenix to come run the store in Vegas, he signed a consent to search the premises. So one of the things we're looking for is evidence that foul play had occurred inside the store. What did you find? Nothing in the front part of the store stood out as anything unusual had happened there. But when they reached the back room, investigators became concerned. We smell uh, cleaning solvent, a lot of it, in the back. Anytime you have a, a smell of cleaning solutions, you know, you think that they try to cover up evidence. Then, Detective Roskin noticed something that further added to his suspicions. We found a spot of blood on one of the walls. It was collected and it was preserved, but that's all we had. Ultimately, the sample was too small for testing, but Detective Roskin believed it was enough to contact the store's owner in Phoenix. I'd asked about that back room and he said, oh, that's where the dog goes to the bathroom. There's no carpet there and so it doesn't stink. I put bleach out there and brush it out into the alleyway. Flowers claimed the blood also must have come from his dog. Investigators found the story plausible. I had a boxer whose ears would get messed up and he'd flip it and splatter blood everywhere. But there was one thing police couldn't explain. Why Flowers had failed to turn over evidence that proved that Ginger had been in the spy shop that day. He says there's a receipt, but yet he can't produce it. That there's a video of her in the store and then walking out, and again, he can't produce it. Detectives were puzzled. 
But there was nothing they could do to force the evasive store owner to cooperate. Did you have any evidence linking him to her disappearance? No. There's people out there that just don't like law enforcement and aren't cooperative with us. Police were frustrated by the lack of progress in the investigation. And the longer the case dragged on without answers, the more certain they became that they would not find Ginger alive. At what point did you believe it was likely that Ginger had been murdered? After about a month and a half of investigating, you've got to realize that, okay, she's probably been a victim of homicide. Would it be accurate to say that the only way you were going to break this case wide open was with a tip? Is that what you were counting on? That or somebody discovering a body somewhere that turned out to be Ginger. And without those two things happening, where were you? Pretty much dead in the water. Then, a phone call from the last person detectives expected suddenly reignited the investigation. Detectives had already spent four frustrating months investigating the terrifying disappearance of Ginger Rios. While her family clung to the hope that the talented 20-year-old might still be alive, Las Vegas police believed that the evidence pointed to a far more heartbreaking conclusion. They feared that Ginger had been the victim of deadly foul play. Detective Jeff Roskin was still waiting for that elusive break in the Ginger Rios investigation when he got an unexpected phone call from a customs official in Phoenix, Arizona. The federal agent said he had just uncovered a critical lead about Ginger's disappearance. What did that agent tell you? He said that they had done a search warrant on a spy store in Phoenix, and that they had important information for me. For a moment, Detective Roskin was confused. Then suddenly, he made the connection. John Flowers, the man who owned the Las Vegas spy shop where Ginger had disappeared, also owned a store in Phoenix. What went through your mind? Honestly, I was like, finally. Finally, we're gonna get to find out exactly what happened. The agent told Detective Roskin that John Flowers had gone on the lam after an investigation revealed that his store was selling illegal listening devices. And when officials questioned his wife, Cheryl, she revealed a much more serious crime her husband had been involved in. The murder of Ginger Rios. 
I told the agent, I said, listen, protect her with your life. I'll be there as fast as I can get there. When Roskin arrived in Phoenix, he sat down with John Flower's wife, Cheryl. She claimed she hadn't told the Las Vegas police what she knew because she was terrified of her husband. But now that he was on the run, she felt safe enough to tell them the truth about Ginger's final moments alive. What did Cheryl tell you happened that day? She told me that they had been in the store with their baby when Ginger Rios had come in. At that point, her husband told her to go buy some film. She's like, now? And he's like, yes, right now. Did she find that odd? She said she did, but John often would ask her to do unusual things. Cheryl said it took her roughly 10 minutes to run the errand. When she returned, she said a man came up asking if they had seen his wife. The man describes Ginger. She says, oh yeah, she was in here looking at some books when I left. And John's like, yeah, she bought a couple books and left. Seconds after Ginger's husband left, Cheryl claimed that Flowers looked up at her in fear. Flowers tells Cheryl, I've done something very bad. Whatever you do, do not go in the back rooms. Cheryl told police that eventually she had to see why her husband was so upset. She did go back there and she saw the girl that was earlier in the store looking at books laying on the floor with blood around her head. Cheryl was sickened by what she saw, but her disgust turned into fear when she realized that her husband was standing right behind her. She said that John had grabbed her very tightly, just squeezed her very hard. Her husband's words were even more chilling. He said that she better never tell anybody about what had happened. There are bad things were gonna happen to her. Flowers also threatened to kill their baby if Cheryl went to the police. Detective Roskin then asked the visibly shaken woman what she knew about the attack. Did he ever admit to her exactly what he had done to Ginger? He told her that this girl had come into the store and that he had punched her and kicked her and killed her and taken her into the back of the store where she had found her. Was that shocking to you that this all could have spiraled out of control so quickly? A little bit. A woman walks into a store alone and the store owner is able to kill her, drag her in the back, and come back out and act like nothing happened. That's disconcerting to think that someone is capable of that. But nothing was beyond possibility 
after being a cop for a few years, you see that the unusual or the almost the probable is possible. Cheryl asked Flowers why he killed the young woman, but she said her husband never gave her a rational answer. Instead, he cleaned up the blood-stained back room in silence for several hours before informing her they would be driving to Phoenix that night. Cheryl's description of their hasty departure added a horrifying detail to the conversation Ginger's husband and father had with Flowers in the store's parking lot. Ginger's body was in the back of the van. Cheryl's story didn't end there. During the journey to Phoenix, Flowers made an unscheduled stop. He drove out in the desert. She had to get out and sit on the side of the road in the middle of nowhere. It's dark. She sees the lights of the van. And after some time, he comes back, picks her up, and they go back home. She assumes, of course, that he's buried Ginger at that point. The next evening, Flowers forced his wife to drive back to the area. He wanted to reinforce the makeshift grave with cement. After Ginger was already buried in the desert, he bought bags of cement, and he also bought water, and went back out, and her and the baby stay inside the van, and John disappears. And she said a short time later, he's running out of the desert, his face is white, and he's saying, they found her, they found her, oh my God, they found her. Police were puzzled. What had John Flowers meant? And where was Ginger's body now? Detectives, Cheryl, and forensic experts headed out to the desert to find out. Detectives investigating the disappearance of Ginger Rios had a new prime suspect. His name was John Flowers. According to his own wife, Flowers murdered Ginger inside his spy shop and then drove to a secluded spot in the desert where he buried Ginger's body. But just when police were convinced that they now had enough to close the case, Flowers' wife raised a troubling possibility. She feared that Ginger's body might already be gone. John Flower's wife, Cheryl, led detectives to the spot in the desert where she had seen her husband preparing to bury Ginger Rios. Can you describe the terrain? It's desert. It's a wide open desert area, very remote. Police feared it would be difficult to locate the exact spot 
where Ginger was buried. But within minutes, they found what they were looking for. There's an undisturbed gravesite with concrete over the top of it. Investigators carefully excavated the gravesite and quickly found the body of a young woman. Based on what they saw, they believed they were the remains of Ginger Rios. There's a tattoo on the lower back that we knew Ginger had. We were pretty convinced on the identity of the body. For the definitive ID, we had to wait for the forensic lab to complete the DNA analysis. And when that testing confirmed the devastating truth, Detective Rosgan knew that he had to break the tragic news to her family. I called George from Phoenix. I didn't want the news to get out and for George to find out that way. That had to be one of the hardest things you've ever done on the job. Absolutely. Anytime you have to make a, a death notification to a family member, it's hard. It was a little harder here because of the months of time spent with George. And it was just as difficult for George Rios to share the news with his wife and the rest of their family. How do you deal with telling your wife that your daughter has been found in the desert, buried? Denise was sitting right there. I look at her. And I tell her, they found Ginger. I'll never forget this, never. Detective Rosgan held back many gruesome details of Ginger's murder from her family. But the young starlet's autopsy appeared to confirm the story John Flower's wife had told police. Ginger had died after suffering a brutal beating. That seemed to be consistent with the story that we were told. You had enough to arrest Flowers? Oh, absolutely. We have enough to get an arrest warrant for Flowers. While police began the search for their prime suspect, they also scoured his Las Vegas spycraft store for evidence, especially areas they hadn't had access to before. A full search warrant was served at the Spycraft store. CSI processed the scene again, but this time we were able to pull up the carpet and lo and behold, there were uh, blood stains. DNA tests revealed that the blood belonged to Ginger. And there was more. The publicity surrounding the case generated a new witness, a young woman who had nearly suffered the same fate as Ginger while shopping at Flowers Spycraft store in Phoenix. A girl had come forward and said, hey, I had been in this store some months ago, and it was weird. The owner came over and grabbed me, threw me over his shoulder, and started carrying me to a back room. The teenager only managed to escape 
when a customer entered the store and interrupted the attack. Until now, she had feared no one would believe her story. She had never reported it to the police. Investigators continue to learn shocking details about the man they believe killed Ginger, including the fact that John Flowers was not his name. His name was Craig Jacobson. He had some warrants for his arrest, federal warrants out of Florida. Since that time, Jacobson had been using the name John Flowers to avoid capture. But now, he was once again the subject of an interstate manhunt. Did you have any idea where he was? Cheryl had said he had taken off to California. He was knowledgeable of the area, and she believed that's where he was at. Police ultimately tracked down Jacobson at a motel just outside of Los Angeles. He was arrested and charged with the murder of Ginger Rios. After he was transported back to Las Vegas, Jacobson confessed to killing Ginger. What did he admit to? He admitted to using blood force trauma, punches, and some Van Damme kicks. She was dead before she hit the ground. Jacobson offered no rational explanation for his crime. Nonetheless, his confession appeared to be the final piece of the puzzle. But while Jacobson was in jail awaiting trial, he attempted suicide. The district attorney told Ginger's family he believed that Jacobson was laying the groundwork for an insanity plea. The prosecutor also feared that without evidence of a motive or exact details of how the crime unfolded, a jury might find Jacobson guilty of a lesser charge. So that was the impression that we were given by the DA that, yeah, it's risky to go to trial. The DA suggested it would be safer to offer Jacobson a plea deal, one that guaranteed that Ginger's killer would spend at least 25 years behind bars. Based on what they had been told, the family agreed. Do you regret accepting the plea deal? Under the circumstances and the information that we had at that time and the way it was presented to us, no. But now I wish I hadn't. Had I known that our case was that strong, I would have taken my chance with a jury. For those who followed the case closely, the DA's choice remains troubling. Why do you believe Jacobson was offered a plea deal instead of standing trial? I never understood the plea deal. They had a solid case. They knew he was going to be convicted. It certainly is not justice for the family. They deserved to have a trial. Detective Roskin agreed. He was convinced that Craig Jacobson was a sociopath who had killed others. And he believed Arizona police may have unknowingly found the proof just steps 
from where Ginger's body had been buried. Prior to us discovering Ginger's body, another girl had been found out in that area. At the time, detectives had no way to identify the young victim, and that made it impossible to move the investigation forward. But the details of the murder of Ginger Rios helped shed light on the complicated mystery. Did you believe that that murder was connected to Ginger's? That's when everything kind of clicked. Cheryl had said that he had run out of the desert saying, oh my God, they found her, they found her. So that started making sense that perhaps that girl that had been found was in fact another victim of flowers. DNA testing eventually helped authorities to identify the Jane Doe found in that shallow grave in the desert. Her name was Christina Martinez. Police learn that the 15-year-old had lived in a group home just down the road from Jacobson's spy shop. When investigators confronted Jacobson about the teenager, he confirmed Detective Rosgen's theory and confessed to the murder. While the Rios family is hopeful that a conviction in this new case will keep Jacobson behind bars for the rest of his life, the pain from their loss is a wound that will never heal. What do you miss most about Ginger? Her smile, her laugh, her energy. What did Jacobson take away from you and your family? Oh, so much. Every event that happens is kind of bittersweet. Anything happy, there's always a thought in your head, you know, I wish she was here to see this. Anything sad that happens, there's always that thought of, I wish she was here to help me with this. Just knowing that we can never get that back. And it will be an entire lifetime of wondering about those things. Craig Jacobson remains behind bars, awaiting trial for the murder of Christina Martinez. Prosecutors are confident that justice will ultimately be served. I'm Paula Zahn. Please join us again next time when we're back on The Case.